HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome Eric Warner, the chef owner of Heartwood in Tulum. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Eric about what it's like to source your food from the Yucatan jungle and sea, Woodfire Grilling from his new book, The Outdoor Kitchen. And we'll hear Eric's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We want to send another shout out to all the frontline workers helping us stay healthy, as well as those in the hospitality industry, figuring out new ways to feed us and recover their livelihoods. We hope that Julia's enduring legacy and this podcast can play a small part in getting everyone through the pandemic. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Julia led quite the adventurous life, even before she arrived in France. She met her husband Paul in Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, during World War II. As a member of the American Diplomatic Service, Paul's career took him and Julia to France, as well as China, Germany, and Norway before they returned to Boston. Living abroad changed Julia's life and instilled in her a great passion for food and other cultures. This also happened in partnership with Paul, who, upon their return to the U.S., devoted his time to helping Julia bloom into the culinary icon she became. Now, last week, we took you to France by way of Brooklyn. Today, we're heading farther south to the Yucatan jungle, where it meets the Caribbean Sea in Tulum, Mexico, by way of upstate New York. We're talking to Eric Warner, the chef owner of the renowned wood-fire cooking restaurant Heartwood. Eric shares Julia's spirit of adventure, passion for cooking, as well as life-changing partnership. Loyal listeners will remember we last visited the Yucatan in episode 58, 
with Esquire Magazine's food and drinks editor, Jeff Gordonier. Today, we're returning in spirit to talk about Eric's latest book, The Outdoor Kitchen, Live Fire Cooking from the Grill, written with Niels Bernstein. Eric opened Heartwood with his wife, Mia, in 2010. The outdoor restaurant showcases local Mayan ingredients through a sustainable approach. A strong advocate for wood fire grilling, Eric's experience encompasses growing up cooking over campfires, cooking as a student at a school for disenfranchised youth in New York's Catskill Mountains, and had graduated from the Culinary Institute of America, after which he was a chef at Vinegar Hill House in Brooklyn and peasant in New York City. His first book, Heartwood, Bright Wild Flavors from the Edge of the Yucatan, received an IACP Cookbook Award for Culinary Travel. He joins us today to talk about sustainability in the Yucatan and his new book on live fire outdoor grilling, just in time to add to your summer to-do list. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hello. So how are you doing right now? Uh, we're doing okay, you know, uh, based on the circumstances. Um, everybody's keeping positive and uh, looking forward to uh, Hartwood reopening within the next week or so. So, Yeah, so I, I think everyone would be interested to know what's uh, kind of going on in that part of the word and what, it, what have you been hearing and what is your plan and how has this all kind of affected Hartwood? Um, well, okay, so I think that, you know, when we first heard about the pandemic um, and within, um, you know, Yucatan, it was kind of information's a little bit slow to get to us. So it, it didn't, you know, we didn't really realize about this until maybe about a week or two before after it hit the news um, within the States is that we kind of uh, took the approach of let's really be safe and keep our staff safe and keep our customers safe and, um, and, and close and wait it out. And that was, um, I believe, within towards the end of March um, or middle of March, somewhere along those lines. And um, what we did was we kind of um, made sure that um, we could, you know, finish paying our bills and take care of our staff and, you know, kind of ride this out for a while. It turned out to be quite some time. And, um, you know, in that time, Tulum kind of took a stance of we're going to really be on pause, every, close everything down, really be safe. And in doing so, and everybody following those rules and regulations, it um, has only had about, you know, three to four cases um, during that time. So it proved positive to, uh, to, to go in that position. So we're glad we did that in the beginning. So. And so now you've just recently announced when you're reopening and you're headed back down there relatively soon? Yes. And uh, we announced that we we're going to be opening on the 3rd. Um, but I really think we're going to be um, having everybody come back the 3rd, all of our staff getting ready, doing prep work and, um, uh, you know, making sure that the restaurant is ready and prepared um, for the following week to open. We're still waiting on the state of Quintana Roo uh, to say um, ex the exact date that restaurants are able to be open. They recently announced that hotels can open. Um, so we're hoping that it happens relatively soon. So we're just right now in, in the process of getting everything ready and preparing for the date. So I say I was going to say so that that for that region, they, they basically are trying to reopen for tourism because I'm assuming because of 
sort of the your target market, which we'll talk about a little bit more for folks who don't know Hartwood. But you know, this is a region in terms of its base is like heavily dependent on tourism. It is heavily dependent on tourism, and it's tourism, um, you know, from all over the place, from all over the world. So, but somehow. I guess not hugely from Wuhan or somewhere like that, that it was enough insulated that it wasn't, there wasn't, it seems like loads of virus coming in on airplanes. Yeah, no, we didn't really see that. And um, it, the, the state was very proactive in their response of, uh, you know, kind of closing everything down and, you know, taking, you know, more of a, uh, a stance of, you know, better safe than sorry in the situation. Um, and, um, and it seemed, and it seemed to work, but, um, I think that, you know, you know, we'll see how the weeks come. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so for those listeners who aren't familiar with Hartwood or Hartwood story or Tulum or even the, the, the Yucatan or that part of the world, can we take a step back and just, uh, I think it's, it's, it's always really fascinating to hear about your story. So how did a New Yorker, a New York chef end up opening an off-the-grid restaurant in the jungle? Well, it started, I mean, I honestly, a lot of this has to do with uh, my wife, Maya, first, you know, kind of even recommending that we go on vacation to Tulum about uh, 12 years ago. And it was then that I was able to take a break from working in New York City, even to, you know, a week off and to visit Mexico and to, you know, kind of uh, go to the beach and go to Tulum and, you know, to see what she's talking about because she was really very excited to go down there. So it was kind of like, um, all right, you know, tell, tell my head chef that, you know, request a week off from vacation. And during that, during that time within, you know, New York, it was I always worked for very busy restaurants and um, getting time off was few and far between. And um, I would, you know, a lot of time you'd spend years with no vacation and so forth. And, you know, it was always hard to find somebody to fill in your position because uh, most stations have a lot going on and you have a lot of applause and you have a lot of setup and services are, you know, usually intense. So um, to find somebody as your backup um, was difficult. But we finally was able to make it happen. We were able to go down there. And it was, you know, from the first moment of seeing, you know, the Mayan culture and from, you know, driving from the airport down there and seeing the jungle and seeing the sea and seeing this whole new environment. And, um, you know, it was it was amazing. Uh, You know, we were completely, you know, we were starting to fall in love with, you know, this section of the world, this part of the world. And, um, you know, it was like a whole new adventure. And that's how that's how it began. Okay, I buy that. I actually my parents have been going to this part of Mexico for more than 20 years. So I've been there quite a lot. And it is definitely very hypnotic in that it has this very rare natural beauty and this really specific culture. And it's very tied to a food culture. But I've never once thought, oh, I'll just start an open air restaurant off the grid. So where where did where did that leap of faith uh, come from? Well, a kind of, um, you know, at a certain time in your life, you reflect and you look at like all my time in New York City and in New York, I met so many people that moved to New York from other states and other countries. And uh, they would always ask me, like, you know, where are you from? And I'd be like, you know, I'm from New York. 
so I'm from upstate New York, um, and I've been living in the city for, you know, over 12 years and 10 years, something like that, and cooking there. And that was my response to that, to that question. Um, so I never really moved out from New York and tried any to live any place else for any extended period of time. It was always, you know, head down, working in kitchens, you know, um, trying to have three, three to four jobs in order to make my rent, in order to pay bills um, and go through the hardships and the joys and all these things of living in New York City. And um, so the idea of picking up and moving someplace else of of this sense of, you know, newness in this sense of, you know, I can um, cook outdoors I can have open fire. I can, you know, embark on this journey, you know, with my partner, Maya, and, you know, figure this whole thing out together. It was a sense of, you know, um, like I said before, adventure, but it was also, there was, there was a sense of ignorance there also. I was, you know, I, I didn't know all of the things that we were going to have to go up against. I didn't know all the things that we were going to have to do. And I wasn't sure that, I, I mean, I was figuring that maybe this was going to be easy, but it turned out to be extremely hard, but um, very rewarding at the same time, you know. Um, and I was also in love with this, the sense of being in another, in another culture, you know, and living amongst another culture, so... Wow. Well, I'd love to talk more about this, but I want to make sure we have time to talk about your new book and, and wood fire cooking in general. But I did want to ask you, given that Heartwood has such a sustainable approach, which it sounds like is kind of part your vision, but also just part the reality of where you are in Tulum. But I'm curious, does that do you now sort of feel like for all the hardship you went through to create this off the grid restaurant? Um, that it was ahead of its time? Or are you also feeling like, well, you're going to be balancing that with, in some ways, you're more sustainable and less dependent on the global food system, which is not shutting down, but certainly having major chinks in its armor and major issues? Or is the fact that you're in a situation that is quite globally tourist dependent kind of a balancing act? Or what are you kind of thinking going back to Tulum now? Um, well, I think that, okay, so there are two questions, right? So you're asking me if the, the sustainable approach, does it, is it benefiting Heartwood? I'm not sure. Maybe you could, um, kind of. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you feel like looking at it now, it kind of feels like, well, thinking about a restaurant that is sustainable, that really sources things very locally and highlights them and has its own kind of local systems that's not dependent on a, a Cisco or a Smithfield or for its sourcing is really valuable in the current kind of climate. But then I was also, which I imagine the answer is yes in a way, but then I'm also contrasting that with picking a restaurant whose location in terms of who goes there and who can afford it is very dependent on global tourism. So I was curious how you're thinking about it, looking at heading back there. Well, I think that um, I, I would never imagine 
ever opening another restaurant or running Heartwood without the sustainable approach to involving the local community in everything that we do. And that means buying from the local community, employing the local community, and um, you know, uh, only farmers and fishermen every day. And that's that's what makes us, you know, a little bit different and being 100%, you know, reliant on them. And so therefore, everybody's got to stay healthy. Everybody has to be alive. Everybody has to, you know, feed their families. And if you make it, then the community makes it. And, um, and that's, and if everybody follows the, that approach, um, I think that you would have a lot of community growth and you would have very strong communities. Um, so therefore, everything is possible. Um, and I think that, you know, Hartwood has, in some sense, relied on um, global tourism for sure. And I think that in the beginning, Hartwood was very reliant on global tourism. Um, I think that now what you're going to see is um, not just global tourism, when you like, you know, not just all tourists, when you go into the restaurant, you're going to see a lot of locals also. And you're going to see a lot of, you know, people visiting from other parts of Mexico. And you're going to see other people visiting from other parts of the Yucatan. And the restaurant, um, you know, all the customers that we are extremely fortunate to have um, are from all over. And I always thought that there's one principle in place of cooking and giving service every single night is over and over and over again, give really great food. Make sure that your food is right there in the front always. And that is your most, you know, um, important thing. And, and, you know, the foundation of any restaurant is its food. And so really paying attention to that. And that, again, goes back to the community. You know, that again goes back to the farmers. That then goes back to the fishermen. Very, very, very important, you know, and, and to, to us, you know. So does that hopefully that answers your question? No, it, no, it does. And that makes sense. I mean, that sort of gels with the other things I've been reading and conversations I've been having, which is the whole idea of tourism and how you spend your summer, at least in the more near term, is moving to a much more sort of regional, non-international travel. But obviously, Mexico is a big country and with a very diverse population and, you know, easier for Mexicans to travel and, and even they could get a very different experience and already they do travel to that region because of its special, you know, natural beauty and, and, and history and, and even right. The Mayan culture is, you know, quite specific to that, um, that region. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's surprising and, um, about, you know, kind of, um, even just seeing like, you know, locals in Tulum looking forward to coming back to the restaurant and, you know, you know, eating a ceviche and doing this and that. It's just like, it's just like, you know, um, a kind of, it's, it's a restaurant that is um, grounded really in the place of where it lives. And it's not, um, uh, it doesn't uh, mean it's for this person or that person. It's for everyone. It's for everyone to enjoy all the time. And that's how I see it. And it really, I, I you know, I kind of, um, I don't do any um, advertising, you know, tourism or, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, I, it's really we just allow, um, you know, our waiters and, you know, the chefs in the kitchen to really kind of come out, you know, and um, and be, the you know, the face of the restaurant. So 
I wanted to ask you something that I sort of heard implied in what you, you said, or I want to make sure I understood it correctly. If you were going to open another restaurant, either in, in the Yucatan or in New York or anywhere else, I think you were kind of saying you would follow the same model of sustainability. Is that, is that what you were saying theoretically? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so right now is, is Hartwood outside of pandemic times open all year round or is it, does it close in the, the heat of the summer there or, or how does it work? It usually closes in September and October. Okay. And which is the height of hurricane season, the height of hurricane season. But this this season, we will be open September, October because we were, you know, forced to close for, um, you know, uh, the past two, two and a half months. Right. So we're going to allow uh, the restaurant to be open for September and October this year. And it's mainly, you know, it's like we have um, um, a lot of staff and, you know, we work with a lot of people and it kind of just allows more time for, you know, the restaurant to be open, you know, to, to, to work. So, well, I want, before we go to break, I want to ask you a more fun question about what you're most looking forward to eating. Cause I know like I can get avocados where I live, but they are not like avocados that come from North America. And so is there something, and especially also looking at being open later in a season, is there some kind of food or or something that's coming into season or you know will be plentiful at this time of year that you're really looking forward to being able to get onto plates? Um, I'm going to say mangoes. You know, in the Yucatan, we have three, four different species of mangoes. And um, one, of, uh, one of our friends and um, somebody we've been working with for a long time, Antonio, has a farm within the Yucatan and he has, you know, 30, you know, different mango trees. And um, some of them are something called injerto um, mango trees where they're, where he's taking um, one type of mango tree and then splicing it with another type of mango tree and allowing two different mangoes to grow from the same tree or, or a hybrid almost of mangoes. And they're delicious. They're incredible. So I'm really looking forward to that for sure. And what do you, do you do something in particular? Like, do you just eat the mango fresh do you use it as a a marinade do you use it in like you use it a hundred hundred ways of a hundred ways oh so much you know we use it for the bar we use it for dressings we use it for you know mixing with the salsa we use it for um sometimes with if it's a green mango we can pickle it like i mean honestly so much and i've always been known sometimes to go to the market and um and if i see something that i really like i'm gonna buy all of it so we're going to, and then we're going to just use that as the um, focus point for the week of to build around this one one or two ingredients for our cooking for that week and just try to work it in and understand it as much as possible. Like really kind of, um, you know, geeking out on one ingredient and, and, you know, trying all these different ways to work with it. But mango is especially delicious. So. And this this hybrid mango that you were talking about does it does it have something distinctive about its flavor profile than a grocery store mango? Well, it's grown one hundred percent organic, so it's you know from the moment it started until it's you know harvested, it is um, it's it's picked just the right time. It has you know it's I don't know. There's something magic to it, which I can't. I guess I just really can't explain. But it's. Um, it's sweet. It's refreshing. It doesn't get, you know, overly soft. It's, it stays relatively, you know, medium to soft and firmness. 
Um, it's, um, it's, it's really very special and has like this golden yellow kind of color to it once it's opened. Um, and, uh, and it also grows to be relatively large in size. So. Great. Well, no, that feels supported. I can almost feel the, the warm sea breeze and ready for whatever cocktail you're, you're coming up with. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're, <laughs> we're going to take a break and we'll be back to talk with Eric Warner about his new book, The Outdoor Kitchen. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back. We're talking to chef owner Eric Warner of Heartwood in Tulum, Mexico, about his new cookbook, The Outdoor Kitchen, Live Fire Cooking from the Grill. So in the book, and you kind of alluded to it um, at the beginning about the power of outdoor cooking and that you really advocate for people to cook outside and, you know, just see what happens. So what is it to you that's so special about outdoor cooking? Well, it kind of, um, it grounds you and it it allows you to be amongst nature and fresh air and, you know, um, all these things I I think are very important, you know, Um, and uh, it allows you a sense of feeling alive and, um, you know, it's, it's something that's necessary, I believe, for, you know, um, wood fire cooking. You know, you want to you want to see where the wind comes from and the direction the wind comes and whether that wind is, um, you know, uh, dry or it's humid and how that affects the fire and uh, the smoke and all these different elements. So it's, um, you know, it's I think it's very inspiring to be outside. So. Well, and, and, and sort of timely now, which everyone's saying, you know, the safest place you can be in public or with other people is outside. So that it is, it is sort of taken on a whole new, new meeting of outdoors being equated with safety when it used to be about finding shelter. So the book also, I thought, amazingly advocates this very you-can-do-it-too approach to building your own grill for wood-fire cooking, which you talk about why you need a very specific setup. But when I was thinking about it, I had this sort of restaurant in mind, and I was, like, imagining that that meant, like, creating something, you know, gigantic and install that's, like, the size of a pizza oven. But then when you look at the book, actually what you've you know, show in the photos and are mapped out is actually quite a reasonably sized object. And most people have a a gas grill that's even bigger and they're not most people, but many people. And so I thought, could you talk about what are actually the key elements that you need to craft a grill for wood fire cooking? Because I learned that I think one of them, it does not equate to something gigantic necessarily. Yeah, this isn't something that's, you know, um, really super cumbersome or large or anything like that. This is something that's maintainable and, um, you know, you can move around. 
Um, there's even wheels that are shown in the diagram. Um, this ultimately is a, an idea where you can become involved with uh, somebody in your community, i.e. the, you know, an iron worker and someone that has an, you know, uh, understanding of how to work with iron, how to build things. Um, and um, what you would do is you would take these plans, you would go to the iron worker with these plans and you would say you would like to build this. And he would come back to you at a price and it's relatively inexpensive, um, you know, depending, I guess. Um, and um, within a couple of months or the time schedule, you would have this and you can begin grilling right away. Now, it's um, it's kind of it instills an idea that you had to go outside of yourself and begin to work with somebody that maybe you might not you know, be working with. You know, and because like maybe you don't incorporate iron or custom iron within your home. So this is an opportunity to go meet somebody that um, can build your dream grill for you, you know, and um, and then you would work with this person and, you know, kind of develop this relationship of, you know, oh, this is what I'm going to be cooking on it or that's what I'm going to be cooking on it. And how does the air come through and um, are the grill grates removable and maybe you get comfortable with this idea and you want to add on things or you want to build on this, or you want to build on that. And, um, and it becomes something that you're really proud of, you know, and you want to cook off of it for your family, your friends all the time. So can you take us for those of us who, you know, know the old Weber kettle grills or have, a a kind of a more modern, you know, gas grill. How how is a, there's some key differences that wood fire works in a different way? Could you since we're on radio, can you just describe how a wood fire grill ideally looks looks quite different, or how it's different from maybe what people are more familiar at from Home Depot? Well, I mean, first of all, if you're going to be having a, um, a rectangular, square kind of iron box with you know holes in the bo- um, holes in the side of it that allow airflow. Um, you're going to have a door in the front of it that can open so you can feed it. Um, the grill grates on top of it, you can pick up and remove so you can stack more wood on it to begin with. So you can start building your ember bed, um, or your coal bed. And then what you, um, what you see mainly is, um, uh, you know, a fluctuation between high to medium flames happening. You know, and you're able to have this um, kind of um, bed of hot coals developing on the base of the firebox, which you can use to cook whole onions in, you can use to cook eggplant in, you can use to cook squash in, pumpkins, all different kinds of things, right? You can um, use it to develop your food even further. Then your grill grates get, you know, super hot. I think that definitely iron, um, depending on the thickness of iron, um, are, are allowing them to get, like the grates themselves to get hotter than maybe you could get from something else. And that would allow for more of a crust and more of a stronger sear into your, into your you know, things that you're cooking on your grill, whether it be a steak or whether it be vegetables, um, whatever it is. And you can regulate that fire by, you know, either moving your wood around, putting more or less wood on, the type of wood you want to put on, the, the how large the pieces of wood that you're putting on. It's, you can see that it becomes easily controllable and it's not something that you have to allow to, you know, control you in the way that you cook, but you can, you know, gain confidence every time you use it. If that um, 
if that makes sense, if that, if that starts to, <laughs> to paint a picture here. <laughs> no, it doesn't, because it made me think about that maybe the best way to equate it so that people who haven't seen the book yet or, or know that much about the, the way you work, it is very related to a campfire. And I was just going to ask you, though, how does somehow the custom grill just give you more structure and more ways to control things than, than a campfire, which is a little more makeshift? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, you're definitely be able to, to control things more on a uh, on a gas grill and you'll be able to set your temperature with your gas and so forth, you know, turn it on and leave it and walk away with with a wood fired grill. It's going to allow you to be a little bit more involved in your fire. It's going to allow you to, um, you know, work with it a little bit more, discover new things and, um, you know, kind of uh, see how it reacts to what you're doing. Um, it's it allows more. um for you know a sense of uh getting to know something that is not so predictable right so sometimes you know when you're putting on when you put a steak onto the grill okay you're going to want to make sure that your wood-fired uh you know setup is going for at least 20 minutes beforehand so you can start to get everything high get everything moving now the thing is with this is that once you have your fire going for about 20 minutes, it's going to develop heat all the way throughout the grill. Okay. The entire, the entire, all the grill grades, the firebox, everything is going to start to come up in temperature. So it's going to allow for higher heat. It's going to allow for a more of an impact on your food. It's going to lock in it, be able to lock in a perfect medium rare or rare and have crust on the outside of your steak, as opposed to something that's giving off a lower heat amount okay so what i find sometimes with certain gas grills is that it is um doesn't get as hot as i want it to it doesn't like you know i'm always i was always the person that would start to regulate with the uh propane amount with gas grills and kind of mess with it so it can get we get like a torching level to the grill grates so when i when i put a steak down it's like locks in that crust and gets me to a medium rare to rare every single time without having, you know, any kind of gray coloring on the outside of my steak. I want to see crust. I want to see, you know, and I want to have these textures, you know. And then I started to see that I really wanted to have more flavor into it. And what wood does, it gives you a lot more flavor. It gives you more smoke. It gives you more, you know, kind of uh, a different structure and taste. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... it's uh, it's something that's different. It's, you know, I listen, I, I love, you know, cooking off either one of them. I just spend my entire life cooking off wood fire. That's what I do for a living. And that's what I find to be the most rewarding, you know, from every single day of using it. So. And is that because you found that as a chef, it, it can, you can get all these different nuances and flavors out of wood fire that you, you weren't finding you could get from other sources? Yeah, I, I find that Every single day that I work with um, and wood fired, you know, whether it be a grill or my oven or smoker, I'm learning something new every single day, and I'm learning something new about fire. I'm learning about what what fire and smoke does to to, to the food that I'm cooking with, it, it, what it what it um, you know the kind of uh, ways that I can regulate temperature within the grill or within the oven. Um, and how this all affects, you know, the texture and flavor 
of food. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible. It's, it's, it's something that you never get bored of. It's something that's constantly, you know, satisfying and you can't always walk away with, wow, I, I did this and I built the fire. First, I made the grill. Then I built the fire. Then I seasoned my food from the recipes and then I made the food. Okay. It didn't take me hours upon hours and upon hours to do this. It happened re- relatively quickly. And when I walk away from it, I'm going to know that I did this from start to finish. To me, it, it's kind of like, all right, there's a person that is um, going to the store and buying the cake mix and making a cake. And then there's the person that uses the flour, the sugar, the eggs, and puts it all together and makes a cake from scratch. Okay. And I think that this is something of a comparison to that. You know, you're responsible from the beginning to the end for your cooking. And there's nobody that's giving you a certain type of crutch along the way. And so you're challenging yourself a little bit, but it's a good challenge. And it, and, and it definitely um, gives you a certain level of pride. And it definitely gives you a certain level of confidence in your cooking. And you're using that every single day. You go, you know, you go back for more, right? So... Yeah, and right, it's a methodology if you compare it to even a charcoal grill or whatever. It's the most closest to to natural or organic cooking. It's the sort of original way. And I think what you're describing is is feeling that connection, but and that connection has more variables. It's not as easy, but then it has more layers and more kind of uh, creative connection. Yeah, I think for sure it has a definite creative connection to it. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of chefs that come into uh, Heartwood to work with me over the years. And, um, and uh, you know, I have a lot of staff that's been with me. I'm going to say 75 to 80 percent of my staff has been with me since day one. And but during that time, I've had some chefs that come in and um, that have worked in kitchens that were all gas, you know, and um, all convection ovens, things like that. And this would be their first time ever working with wood fire or open fire. And a lot of people think it's going to be one way and then they get into it and they're like super surprised on how satisfying it is that it's a totally different way. And, you know, how relatively easy it is to go about. And I mean, we're, at Heartwood, all of our prep is over open fire. All of our service is open, open fire. So we are definitely in tuned with how we're going about, you know, um, you know, all these things. It's like if you're in the middle of service... And, you know, you have all your orders backing up because your fire went out or because you don't know how to, you know, properly, you know, maintain your fire as you're going through service. It's a big deal, right? It's kind of, it's, it's, an, it's an issue that it's, um, you take very, very seriously. And, I mean, that was the main thing in creating this book is that we wanted to give a lot of people at home these techniques and these tips that were, um, you know, worked upon year after year, service after service, uh, trial and error, mistakes made, all these things to give you, you know, all these different, you know, really established techniques. Yeah, I was going to say it definitely requires expertise. But I was also going to say that the, you know, a lot of people tend to think, oh, a grilling book, it's about meat. But I thought, your cookbook very clearly leads with vegetables and fish, and there's certainly lots of meat in it. But I wanted to ask you about that. So were you kind of hoping by really having as 
equal a focus on vegetables and fish that people would discover that wood fire grilling can extend to that? Or was that coming out more organically just from sort of the mind food you love to cook? I mean, um, I definitely cook a lot of seafood and, uh, and known for that. Um, and we definitely have a lot of vegetables on the menu, like our roasted beet that's been on our menu for, you know, years and years and years. So, um, I wanted to share a lot of that with, um, with the home cook because it's, um, it's something that's really important, you know, to incorporate within your, you know, uh, weekly, you know, kind of cooking and what you're, you know, so there's, you know, it's kind of mixes it up. So we're not always looking at, you know, chicken and, you know, meat all the time and things like that. But at the same time, um, I love cooking steak as well. So there's a healthy, I think there's a healthy balance between all of these things. Um, and um, it allows for, you know, kind of um, uh, how to do it all on your outdoor grill and how to, you know, work with anything. Um, I think that, you know, there's plenty of grill books out there that are definitely meat forward. They exist and you would be very easy to find them. And that's why we wanted to do something a little bit different and to, um, you know, to bring more vegetables and a little bit more fish to people at home. Um, I think that, you know, a vegetable can take in that smoke and can take in that fire from, from a wood-fired grill. And it would like, you know, give a vegetable, or usually a very common vegetable, a whole other dimension. And it's easy to be seen. I mean, take, for example, you know, a grilled corn. I mean... Grilled corn over a wood fire, you know, on a wood fired grill is something truly delicious. There's something really special, you know, and you're yeah. you're definitely going to pick up that smoke from the butter and the salt and you know the sweetness of the corn. All of that works together, you know, beautifully. You know, um, when you're taking, you know, the cauliflower and you're making a cauliflower steak and you are, you know, um, using like a nice glaze that maybe you would be using on a chicken, like a raisin glaze. And, um, you know, then you start incorporating a little bit of like, you know, chipotle to it or um, chili pasilla or something like that, something that maybe you don't, wouldn't commonly use. That gives it a whole other dimension. When you start using vegetables, like as if you would, you know, like you, as if you would use a steak, you know, and you start putting vegetables in place of that steak and treating them sort of similar the same way, it's a whole other dish. It's something that's, you know, you know, unique in itself. Okay. I um, think that we are going to take another break, and we'll be back to hear Eric's Julia moment. Are you geared up for summer grilling? What are your top grilling tips and secrets? We want to know. Send us an email or even a voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org, or better yet, Tweet us at JuliaChildJCF. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their career. Eric, what's your Julia moment? Well, I think that, you know, in understanding Julia, um, she was never afraid to go into something unknown and to take on that challenge. Um, You know, 
whatever it may be. And I think that she has really kind of, um, you know, brought that in every aspect into her life. And, you know, when Maya and I moved down to the Yucatan and opened Heartwood and took on that challenge and took on all the challenges that came into it, I think that it was very, you know, much the same thing and, and really like a Julia moment, multiple Julia moments, you know, <laughs> and, and every day, every day was a Julia moment. So I think that, um, you know, that's where I would see that our, you know, our lives are running a little bit parallel here. You know, it was um, always like, okay, how are we going to get through this? How is this going to work out? It was always a question mark. And, you know, by putting one foot in front of the other, and having a little bit of confidence from the going through the previous challenge, we were able to go through the next challenge. And that is for sure something, you know, to wake up for every day. Yeah, no, I can completely uh, see that connection. And I just had this vision of, of Julia showing up at Hartwood with a camera crew wanting you to explain everything about how it works to her because she would have been you know, so fascinated and love to learn from people who've, you know, dived in with both feet and are really dedicated to a very specific way of cooking and presenting uh, food. And uh, uh, I, she would, I'm sure, have relished that opportunity. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, something that stuck with us, you know, all these years and that was told to me when I was younger and in school was that it was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get that initial A, you know, it's very hard to maintain that A always, right? So I think that, you know, that's what I see within Julia is that everything that she went after, she knew that it was going to be, she had to put forth the effort that she put in the beginning of her career, you know, and she put it and she put it in everything that she did. And that's what, you know, makes a difference in life, I think. So No, I think I think that that's very well put and very insightful. Well, Eric, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and good luck getting back to uh, uh, life in Tulum. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. To keep up to date with what Eric's cooking, it's at Heartwood Tulum on Instagram and Twitter. And for more details on the restaurant's reopening and reservations, it's heartwoodtulum.com. The new book is The Outdoor Kitchen, Live Fire Cooking from the Grill by Eric Warner with Niels Bernstein. It includes Mayan-inspired recipes and a how-to guide to building your own wood fire grill, as well as gorgeous photographs by Gentleman Hires. Out now from 10 Speed Press. Ask or search for it at your favorite bookselling outlet. To keep up with all that we have in store this summer, it's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks as always to my co-producer of The Foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Amanda Wang. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorny. Please give us a review. It really does help new listeners discover the show. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen.
This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>